before we begin. So has a question from last class. It was more of just a clarification where we covered in one of the verses that about sinning. Can everyone hear? And um, it says that if you're not mentally agitated by it, then you're not necessarily sinning. Um, which I can understand in, in relation to disturbance. However, you know, it can be assumed that Hitler, for example, killed all those people. If he wasn't agitated by it, he didn't sin. Right. But I'm, I'm separating cause and effect. Yeah in relation to mental agitation. So every action has a reaction and there's got to be, I suppose, a repercussion for all of your actions, whether they're good or bad. Absolutely. So whilst mentally you're not agitated and you don't feel you're sinning at that time, if it's a wrong action or a bad action, it does have repercussions. Definitely. Did everyone catch that? So, sinning, we covered last week. If you perform an action and you don't get mentally agitated, then it's not a sin for you. But if you are agitated, I shouldn't have done that, I shouldn't have said that, then it's a sin for you. But that doesn't mean uh, that you're not doing a wrong action just because you're not agitated, which Sittle picked up. She said, the fact that you're not sinning, you're not agitated. The fact that, sorry, let me start again. The fact that you perform an action and you're, you're agitated, that means you're sinning. If you're not agitated, you're not sinning. But cause and effect plays its own role. Just because you're not agitated doesn't mean that you're not going to deal with the pre repercussions of the action. And the example she gave was Hitler. He killed millions of people. He may have been laughing and not having a jolly time thinking, well, no big deal. No agitation. That doesn't mean that in the long term, in his cause and effect, he's not affected by it. That will happen regardless. Yeah. So it's better to learn how to perform the right action, be a good human being, do no right from wrong, than just be ignorant. 
and think, well, I'm not agitated, so it doesn't matter. No, it does matter. It doesn't give you a license to do whatever you wish. Your ignorance is an excuse. It's not an excuse. Any clarifications? Okay, great. So, class 17, chapter 2, Bhagavad Gita, verse 37, we're going to be doing today. So, if we think about our life, we as human beings, we're born, we live for some years, and then we die. That's it. All of us go through the same process. Everyone here, everyone in the world. But while we're alive, we don't actually know what to do. What are we meant to be doing while we're alive here as a human being? What's our purpose? What's the purpose of life? I'm born as a human being, top end of all life. What is my purpose? Any ideas? Any questions? Does anyone think about this? What is my purpose? Juanita? Yeah, all the time, I think. Not now, but before. I used to think, you know, you do think in your head, I don't know. Just think, why is this happening? I suppose it starts like that, doesn't it? For what reason did I do that? And it maybe when you have a death of a nearer one, then I think that questions arise then when you think why did they die where, where are they mm. going to go what's going to happen so it depends on where you are in your path and what experience you have to have that yes. question I think so the fact that you question these things or the question the purpose of life is the reason why you're why you're all here you have a desire to know without you knowing or not you have a desire to know hence you're here in this class because you want answers to those questions Somewhere down the line, you'd have asked that. So that's where the Gita comes in, to answer that question of my purpose in life. Why am I born a human being? What am I supposed to be doing as a human being? And how do I fulfill that purpose? This is what Gita teaches you. It's, it's a manual on life. Manual on how to live life. And to fulfill that purpose. So this, the Bhagavad Gita, is divided into three sections. I'm explaining what, how the Gita is. It's a scientific manual divided into the three sections. Each section contains six chapters, total 18 chapters. Chapters one to six explains Karma Yoga the path of action. Chapters 6 to 12, 7 to 12, is Bhakti Yoga, the path of devotion. And then chapter 13 to 18 is Jnana Yoga, the path of knowledge. So this is how the Gita is divided. Three different sections representing three different paths 
to help us fulfill our role, unfold the self within us. So that we can reach this ultimate goal of moksha, our purpose of life, self-realization. Now remember, those of you who perform yoga asanas, yoga does not mean different postures in the Gita. doesn't mean the postures that you go and do when you're in your yoga class. That name has been hijacked. Yoga means any attempt that one makes to get back to the self. This is called yoga in Sanskrit. Any attempt you make to get back to the real self that you are, the Atman, Brahman, Moksha, that is called yoga. So why three different paths, anyone? Why is there three sections to the Bhagavad Gita? Why is there Karma Yoga, Bhakti Yoga, Jnana Yoga? Any ideas? Anita? Is it based on your vasanas, um, something to do with your personality, What, how you would perform an act? So if you... Like say, if you needed to do bhakti yoga, as in don't like de devotion to God, like that's a path to enlightenment too. May you may need to depends on what your personality is like, what you, I suppose, connect to. Yes, you're absolutely right. Um, I'm looking for a simpler answer. You guys are too educated now. Too many lessons you've had. I'm looking for a simpler answer. Why there are three paths? But, uh, Neelam? Based on the fact that we have the mind, the body, and the intellect. Absolutely. Absolutely. Because, free pass because we're made up of three different components. Physical body that performs actions. The mind that feels, has emotions, likes and dislikes. And the intellect which thinks and reasons. Everyone, I hope, is made up of these three different components. Hence, three different paths. And that's when, after that, what Vanita said comes in. Different personalities will perform different parts of those three paths in various different combinations, based on your personality. Some may be only intellectual, will concentrate on the jnana yoga, knowledge, the last five, six chapters. Some may be more devotional. The devotional aspects, chapters seven to 12, they may be more interested in that. And then there's the karma yogi, people who do service. First six chapters. So based on your personality, you will do a portion of those three. As we said last week, God plus vasanas equals human being. Therefore, human minus vasanas equals God, which is your true personality. So reducing our vasanas by using these three different paths, yogas, for the three different components within us, we reach our goal as a human being. We reach moksha, self-realization.
So the Bhagavad Gita shows us and teaches us the way to reach that goal. Does that make sense? Any questions? So how important is this manual then? If it teaches us and tells us how to get to that goal that everyone is searching, even if they don't know it, it's in your hands. The book in your hands takes you there. We're so fortunate as coming from the East India, Indians, that we have this. Very fortunate. And you're born as an Indian and you're here learning this. Can you imagine what good karma you must have done in the past? You don't realize. So, recap. In the last three verses we covered last week, does everyone understand what this the Bhagavad Gita is now? Arunaben? Yeah? Everyone? Great. So now that's why we're studying it. So in the last three verses, verse 34, 35, 36, we covered last week, Krishna tones it down and explains to Arjuna in layman terms what will happen if he did not fight. People of Hastinapur will say Arjuna ran away from battle. What we thought he was, great warrior, and what he turned out to be. Arjuna, you'll be dishonored as a great warrior by your people. And then Krishna says, even the great chariot warriors, Drona, Bhishma, Duryodhana, Karna, all your fellow adversaries will laugh at you. They will say, Arjuna is not a man. He's impotent. He's a coward. They will tarnish your name and say all sorts of bad things about you and your family. You'll never be able to face any of your fellow men if you don't fight. Your name, your family's name, the Pandavas will be in dirt. Arjuna, is that what you want? That's what Krishna said. Arjuna, who was regarded as a great warrior, dishonor was more painful than death. See, in those days, everyone wanted honor, respect. How? As a warrior. That was the highest. Kshatriya was the highest caliber in those days. Because there's war everywhere. Who's going to help you? Kshatriya, warrior. So hearing this, Krishna talking to Arjuna about all the bad things that will happen, Arjuna started waking up. He starts thinking. So he told him what will happen if he doesn't fight the war. Krishna today now explains in the next four verses the benefits in fighting the war. Yeah, he's told him the negative things will happen. We covered last week. 
Today, we co he covers the positive things. Arjuna, if you fight, this is what will happen. Okay, we'll start with, any questions before we begin? Everyone on the same page? Yeah, great. So verse 37, and you all should be professional chanters now because you've been practicing. Hatova prapsyasi svargam jitva va bokshyase mahim tasma dutishta konteya yudaya kartanishchaya hatova prapsyasi svargam jitva va bokshyase mahim Tasma dutishta konteya yudaya kartanishchaya. Either slain, you will attain heaven, or victorious, you will enjoy the earth. Therefore, arise, O Konteya, determined to fight. Konteya is another name for Arjuna. So this verse, what does it mean? Krishna is saying to Arjuna, Arjuna, listen, if you fight and you die whilst fighting for your people, you'll reach heaven. Meaning you'd have fulfilled your duty as a Kshatriya. You'd have exhausted your Vasnas. You'd go to heaven. Remember, he's talking in Arjuna's language. What Arjuna wants to hear. He understands heaven. He understands that uh, he will fulfill his uh, duty. And Arjuna, if you win the war, kill the Kauravas, you'll be regarded as a hero, a great warrior. You'll have the immediate reward of being king of Hastinapur. So if you're killed in battle, you'll attain heaven. Moksha, you'll have reached the ultimate goal as a Kshatriya. But if you win, you become king of Hastinapur. That's the immediate reward. So Arjuna, it's a win-win situation. What are you waiting for? Get up, fight. What have you got to lose? So Krishna is actually also talking to us. He's saying, get out of this laziness. Get out of this ignorance. Stop wasting your life. Stop wasting your life of acquisition and enjoyment. Wealth. Instead, concentrate in fulfilling your purpose as a human being. So you can't act ignorant now. You've been coming to these classes. Now you have the knowledge. You can't say, I didn't know. Deepa, it's too late. Only you feel guilty. So this is what Krishna is saying. I've explained what the Gita is, what it helps, how it helps you to attain moksha, attain a better life. Krishna is saying, get up, get up from your laziness and fulfill your purpose. 
get serious now. You've got to have to start taking this seriously. Put in effort, Vanita. Shashi. It's not just coming to a Sunday class and listening for an hour. You have to put in effort to develop yourself. Ravi. The preceding verses reference to the painful consequences of a warrior abandoning a righteous war seems to have stirred Arjuna from his intellectual paralysis. After giving exhaustive reasoning for Arjuna to fight, Krishna now concludes his arguments with the benefits of waging the war. If you are slain in the battle, you will attain heaven. Whereas victorious, you will enjoy undisputed sovereignty over the earth. Therefore, shake off your faint-heartedness and take up your position with determination to fight. Here is a direct reference to verse 2, wherein Krishna reprimands Arjuna's effeminate behavior on the battlefield. The Lord had warned him that his conduct would neither give him heaven in the future nor fame in the present, and that it was unworthy of Aryan. The duty of a Satriya warrior is to fight for his country. The fulfillment of his obligatory duty assures him contentment and peace even after death. A state of mental equanimity here termed heaven. If he emerges alive and victorious, he will immediately enjoy the fruit of his action as a sovereign of the world. In either victory or death, Arjuna would reap a valuable reward for fighting. Verse 38 gives the third benefit occurring from the Aryan way of living. Thank you, Ravi. Any questions? So, win-win. Fight, you win, you lose. If you, if you fight and lose, you win. If you fight and win, you still win. Win-win yeah? situation, Krishna is saying to Arjuna. Same for us. And today we'll find out why it's a win-win situation for us as well. Any questions? Verse 38. Sukha dukhe same kritva, labala bojaya jayo, tato yudaya yud yasva, nevam papam avapsyasi. Treating alike pleasure and pain, gain and loss, victory and defeat, then get ready for battle. Thus, you will not incur sin. What are they talking about here? Any ideas? What are they talking about? What is Krishna talking about? Treating alike pleasure and pain, gain and loss, victory and defeat. Any ideas? What does that mean? 
What are those? Positive and negatives. Um, yeah. You get the pairs same of opposites. Pairs of opposites. Sorry, Linda? Pairs of opposites. Pairs of opposites. Pairs of opposites. This is quite a deep verse. It depends how deep we want to go. Explains the whole concept of right action. Karma yoga. What is right action? It's not, don't worry too much if you don't completely understand it. We'll be covering it in more detail from chapter three. It'll break it down completely. Krishna is still trying to bombard Arjuna with the highest knowledge to wake him up. Then he'll tone it down in, from chapter three. So what is this first saying? It's saying the moment we are born, we have to deal with these pairs of opposites. This whole world is made of pairs of opposites. Hot and cold, profit and loss, joy and sorrow, success and failure, honor and dishonor. Throughout our life, the minute we're born, we have to constantly deal with these and live with them. See, we're not aware of it because we're used to it. This is the problem. We get neutralized to these things. When we have joy, profit, honor, success, we're happy. When we have the opposite, we're unhappy. Isn't it? So you, you, you just got used to it, so you don't realize anymore. One brings happiness, the negative brings unhappiness. Entire life we go through these ups and downs. And we're affected by these pairs of opposites. Who wants dishonor? Nobody. Everybody wants honor. Who wants failure? Nobody. Everybody wants success. So we're all affected by these pairs of opposites. But a wise person, a person with knowledge, understands this is the nature of the world. A wise person learns to live with these changes. They learn not to be affected by these changes. Who can say they're not affected at all by these changes? Anybody here? Shilabin? Affected? Not affected. Wise woman. A person who is selfish, no higher ideal, only interested in material worldly gain, you'll be greatly affected by these changes. When this person, a selfish person, experiences failure, pain, sorrow, dishonor, it affects him greatly. He doesn't have the knowledge that we have, that the world is made up of this. Also, a selfish person will increase his desires, his vastness, all the time. Now, a person who is unselfish, interested in a higher goal, such as service, sacrifice, 
performing their duty, the goal of self-realization, he will not be affected by these pairs of opposites. Why? Because he's not interested in worldly gain. This person reduces his desires, his vastness. You're talking about honor. The, the name Murdoch. Is it Murdoch? No, Maxwell is in the uh, is in the air at the moment. Elaine Maxwell's father. He was the owner of the Daily Mirror. Very, very powerful man. Very powerful. Some say he committed suicide. Some say he fell off the boat when he died. But dishonor was what was waiting for him. They found out all the bad things that he had done in his company, stolen all the pension funds and everything. And for him, who was an honorable man, or he thought people thought he was, what was waiting for him was dishonor. Some say he committed suicide. Some say he killed, killed himself. Can't handle dishonor. Can't handle being, name being in mud. This is what happens. Some people commit, make losses in the company, commit suicide. All sorts of things happen. They can't handle the negative side. So Krishna tells Arjuna, fight to resurrect righteousness in the country. You have an opportunity to serve a greater ideal. Be unselfish. Be selfless. Don't think of yourself. Think of Hastinapur, all the people living here, do your duty. With this attitude, you will exhaust your sinful vasanas and it will lead you to self-realization. So this whole, whole five, six chapters is about karma yoga, how to perform the right action. Krishna advises Arjuna, fight the war without worrying about the results. Don't worry if you win or you lose. It doesn't matter. Just perform your duty. If you kill anyone, you're not going to incur sin. So don't worry about it. Just do what's right. As we said last week, an action that is selfish, egocentric, desire-ridden activities, these types of action will produce mental agitations. These agitations is referred to as sin, which we covered in the beginning when Sittal asked the question. An action that is selfless, meaning conducting your duties, responsibilities, you gain peace and happiness. This action results in peace and happiness. You do not commit sin. So what is this selfishness? What is this selfishness? Any idea? What is selfishness from your perspective? Dharmesh, any ideas? What is selfishness? Yeah. Anything that increases your ego. Increases your ego, okay. Yeah, anybody else? What is selfishness from your perspective, Anita? I think maybe when you have 
uh, lots of desires and you want to fulfill them um, yeah. and that's all you think about it's your selfish way of living your life isn't it yeah absolutely anybody else want to add to that what is selfishness is she not thinking about others or your mm. actions for the good of the uh, overall mm. yeah good when you think any sentence you use now, be aware of this. Whenever you say any sentence and you use the word I, me, my, myself, you're being selfish. Simple as that. In the ashram, we try to avoid those words. We find alternative words to replace them. I, me, my. These are all selfish words. When you think about others, you're unselfish. When you think about yourself, it's selfishness. You'll never find a selfish person who is happy. He's always mentally agitated. You'll never find an unselfish person is unhappy. And our whole life is based on acquisition and enjoyment. What can I acquire and enjoy? A whole life, that's what we do. Me, my, what can I get? Whole life, we're chasing this. It's not our fault. Society promotes this. You want to buy a car? You don't have any money? It's okay. Get a loan. Buy it. Everything is based on acquisition and enjoyment. This is the society that we live in. But wealth, acquisition, doesn't necessarily equate to happiness. This is the thing. If it bought us happiness, all of us would buy as much as we could. Because the more we have, the more happier we are. Krishnavin, isn't it? Everyone will be striving for that. But it doesn't. This is the problem. No one has found real happiness in this. You ask Bill Gates, he'll tell you. It's overrated. Wealth is overrated. Ask Donald Trump, wealth, where did he get him? Was he happy as a president? No. Was he happy not being president? No. So what if it doesn't make... <laughs> so what does he want? <laughs> Money does not bring happiness. Selfish people are always agitated. So if you're agitated, don't blame people around you. Only one person to blame. Yourself. Selfishness equals agitations. So what's this verse saying? Arjuna, pleasure and pain, gain and loss, victory and defeat. You have to learn not to be affected by these pairs of opposites. Be balanced. Sama, as it says in there. Sukha dukkha, sama, sukha dukkha. Happiness and dukkha. 
pain, sorrow. Be balanced, regardless of what you're experiencing. Don't let it affect you. Rise above it. Even this shall pass away. Those of you who remember that poem. So be balanced in pleasure and pain. Don't be affected by it. So what does it mean not to be affected? What does it mean not to be affected? Nilam? It means you can, um, regardless of what's going on, you can still perform your actions or your duties and you're not de debilitated or disabled by it. Yeah, your action is 100% regardless of externally what's going on. Doesn't take you off, uh, you know, the uh, winter in the trains here. Oh, we've got leaves on the track. The trains cannot work. Wrong kind of snow. <laughs> Doesn't matter what it is, the train will carry on. It'll get to its destination on time. So no matter what's happening, you perform your action 100%. So there's a story, some of you may have heard this, this Chinese man, a great sage philosopher living in this village he doesn't say anything. The only, he doesn't say, the only words he says is, is that so? The villagers recognize him as a great sage. They bring him food every day. They said, look, we have this great feast for you. Is that so? Today, we only have the simple food. Is that so? The flood rains are coming. Protect yourself. Is that so? No matter what happens, is that so? That's all he says. So one of the head of the village had a daughter. She was very protective of her daughter. He witnessed the daughter being with a person, another man. He didn't know who it was. When the daughter came home, said, who was that you were with? Daughter didn't want to say who the person was said. It was that Chinese sage. He got all the villagers together, went to the sage's house. Come out. What did we think you were, this great man? And what did you turn out to be? Sage, Chinese man said, is that so? Honor, dishonor. Is that so? What do you mean, is that so? How dare you behave in this way? We're going to throw you out of the village. Is that so? The daughter couldn't take it anymore. This sage has never done anything wrong to anybody. She confessed that it wasn't him. It was somebody else. Then the villagers said, my God, what sin we, we have committed this sage, this saint in our village, it's because of him the village is so, so, so well, so good. 
because of this great saint, and we have now dishonored him. They went there, profusely apologized, bought gifts for him. What did he say? Is that so? So balanced. Balanced in pleasure and pain, honor and dishonor, not to be affected. Is that so? Remember that. Remember that story. So, Arjuna, why are you getting affected? Just do your duty. You won't occur sin, just play your role. Milam. In chapter 1, verses 36 and 39, Arjuna states that he will incur sin by fighting and killing his own kinsmen in the battle. Krishna hears Arjuna's arguments in verse 33 of this chapter, puts forth his diametrically opposed view that he will incur sin by not waging the war. Here again, the Lord confirms that Arjuna will not incur sin by fighting this righteous war. Sin and wrong action are defined by the internal result of the action rather than the action itself. When you indulge in wrong actions, you become agitated and your mind gathers certain internal impressions. These impressions are called vasanas. Vasanas are desires in an unmanifest form. Any increase in vasanas is said to be sinful. On the contrary, right actions reduce your existing vasanas. They purify your personality. Right actions are those that are dedicated to a higher cause and performed without ego and egocentric desires. Arjuna has this ideal opportunity to fight for a noble cause without polluting it with his personal attachments and desires. In this verse, Krishna asks Arjuna to prepare himself to fight for the righteous war with an attitude of indifference towards its result. Profit or loss, joy or sorrow, success or failure represent the physical, mental and intellectual results of action respectively. Those who lack a high ideal in life look for mere worldly successes. They crave for material profits, emotional joys and intellectual satisfaction. With such desire-ridden and result-orientated actions, they accumulate vasanas. But the wise strive for a high ideal, a noble cause, a supreme goal in life. They live free from the anxiety for enjoying the limited results gained out of their actions. Hence, profit or loss, joy or sorrow, success or failure are immaterial to them. Krishna prepares Arjuna to look at the battle scene as an opportunity to serve the great cause of resurrecting righteousness in his country. Not from an egocentric attitude of merely satisfying a personal end, with this attitude of service and sacrifice, he would exhaust his sinful vastness and thus move towards self-unfoldment. Thank you. So right action, selfless actions, purifies your vastness. Rather than increasing selfish vastness, it purifies the vastness that you already have. You're directing them to a selfless, unselfish rather than your own selfish goals. That's the difference. Any questions?
uh, said as we well, start chapter three, the, all these verses will be more simplified. I'll tell you exactly what you want need to do, right action. Any questions? Okay, verse 39. Esa te bihita sankhye puttiryo gevimam sanu buddhya yukto yaya partha karma bandam prahasyasi esa te bihita sankhye buddhiryo gevimam sanu buddhya yukto to yaya partha karma bandam prahasyasi. This is the wisdom of Sankhya taught to you. Now listen to the wisdom of yoga. Endowed, endowed with which, O Partha, you shall cast off the bond of action. So Krishna is telling Arjuna. In fact, there's now a change of direction, change of thought. Until now, Krishna has been teaching Arjuna the wisdom of Sankhya Yoga, which is, which means a sequence of logical thoughts which come to a logical conclusion. Okay, don't worry too much about that. But that's until now it's been he's been telling Arjuna this if you do this, this will happen. If you do that, this will happen been teaching the knowledge about the real and the unreal, Brahman and the world. This is what Krishna has been teaching Arjuna. You are the self and not this body-mind intellect. You are the indestructible nature of the self. He's been talking about an indestructible nature of the self. Only the body dies, not the Atman. A lot of this knowledge went over Arjuna's and our heads. So now Krishna gives Arjuna the wisdom of karma yoga, the path of action. So this is where it begins, a path of action. Krishna explains that if Arjuna follows this path of action, karma yoga, he will cast off the bond of action. What is the bond of action? Vasanas. Vasanas are created by past actions. Vasanas force themselves as thoughts, desires, and then action. Vasanas are unmanifest thoughts. They become desires, and then they become action. And we are all victims of our vasanas. Whoever you are, whatever you are, however you are, you are a victim of your vasanas. You can't help it. You have to act based on them. All your past actions from all your past lives, this is the result. It's just a bundle of vasanas, you can say. So we can't help who we are. We are because of our vasanas. By eliminating our vasanas, we return back to our Godhead our true self. It is the vasanas that separate us from the self.
So by following the path of action, which we're going to learn in the next four chapters, we learn how to perform the right action. And by performing the right action, we exhaust our vasanas. And when we exhaust our vasanas, it liberates us from this world, this self-inflicted bondage to this world. I know it's deep, but chapter two is deep. There's nothing we can do about it. Don't worry too much about, doesn't make sense to me. It will, as we get more deeper into this book. The whole life, our goal is to eliminate our vasanas, basically. Rather than creating new ones, even if we stop creating new ones, we're moving forward. Emma. This verse is a turning point between Sankhya Yoga and Buddhi Yoga. Sankhya means sequence of logical thoughts arriving at a rational conclusion. Buddhi Yoga in this context means karma. Karma Yoga, the path of action. Action propelled by one's subtle intellect rather than by emotional impulses. Hitherto, Krishna has been giving out the wisdom of Sankhya. He has explained from the beginning of his sermon the difference between the ephemeral body and the eternal being within. Between the senses and the soul, the unreal and the real, between the changing and destructible nature of the unreal and the changeless and industrial, indestructible nature of reality. The body may be destroyed, but the embodied remains forever. The wise understand the truth. They fix their thought on the supreme self, not on the changing body and its worldly attachments. Having thus briefed Arjuna with the subtle philosophy of Sankhya, Krishna then threatened him with the consequences of desisting from the battle. Now finding Partha, Arjuna, prepared to receive the sermon on karma action, the Lord appeals to him to listen to the wisdom of karma yoga, but of action endowed with the wisdom he assures you shall cast off the bond of action. The bond action is the vasanas, the impressions gained by past actions. The vasanas forcibly manifest themselves as desires and actions. A man is a slave, a victim, a captive of his own vasanas. The path of action helps him perform the right type of action, which exhausts vasanas in order to liberate him from his self-inflicted bondage. Thank you. Two types of actions. Actions that increase your vasanas, actions that exhaust your vasanas. Just remember those two things. Whenever you perform an action, question it. Will this increase my vasana? Will it help me reduce my vasana? Half of action we're going to cover, karma yoga, will help us to act in a way it to learn how to reduce our vasanas. This is the path of action, karma yoga. So it doesn't mean you change anything that you do. It doesn't mean 
you don't do any of the things you do. All it means is you change your attitude when you do these actions. That's all it means. That's what we're going to learn. How should we do this action? The action may remain the same. But it's your attitude towards it. I'm always doing this for my children. They don't respect me. They don't do anything for me. And I'm always doing this. Yeah. And you're affected by it. Now they're in their 20s and they're still, I'm still doing everything for them. When they're going to learn, who gets agitated? You do. You expect something back from them, which you're not getting. Convert it to karma yoga. This is my duty as a mother. I'm supposed to be performing these actions. They're, they're all here because of me. It's my duty to teach them how to be independent. I will take this, this obligation, this duty, and perform it to the best of my ability. There's nothing I need in return. You've converted the same action into karma yoga. You do it with a smile now. You know it's helping you reduce your vasanas. Simple way. I'm just explaining in a very simple way. A lot of you are mothers here, so I can, and a lot of you may be affected by this and fathers. So I'm just explaining to you what is karma yoga in a simple way. So we'll cover that. Uh, we'll do more of that next week. I think um, we've had quite a bit of deep knowledge today and uh, we won't carry on because in fact, the next verse is quite long and uh, quite deep. No, you'll all be falling asleep by the time we finish that one. So let's just leave it as that. We've covered quite a bit already today. Any questions? Did, they, did they all, everyone get some idea of what we're talking about? Yeah? Good. Don't stop any action. Continue with what you're doing. Ah. Any questions? Okay. Um, now, next week, we have an engagement I need to go to. I don't want to not have a class. So if everyone's happy to have a class from 10 to 11, then I can fulfill my obligation having a class and fulfill my obligation elsewhere. So would that be okay, Reverend? Okay. okay. Great. So next week, I'll remind you, next week we'll have a class. The class will begin at 10 and finish at 11. Great. Thank you very much, everyone. Neelam. So I just wanted to say thank you so much for sending the recording of the verses. That was really helpful. So just wanted to say thank you. No worries. So we'll continue that. Okay, great. Yeah, I'll continue that. Every five verses we'll put on there so you can practice before during the week. Yeah. The best way to do it is to practice every morning. It takes five minutes. And if you practice every morning by the Sunday, you'll know it. Easy. You'll be able to chant it easily. But more than that is that you practice every morning. It, the vibrations will help you throughout the day. You'll remember Krishna's teachings throughout the day, even though you don't know what it means. But the, the, just those Sanskrit verses will have some effect on you in whatever you do during the day. 
to try it. Yeah. No worries. Thank you. Anyway, all the best and thank you. Hope everything goes well. Yeah. Yeah. Have a lovely day. Bye. You too.